We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Um, We're going to be in Ephesians 3 today. Ephesians 3. Be in Ephesians 3 in verse 14. So you can turn in your Bibles there. My, my sermon this morning is a standalone sermon. It kind of falls in between Advent and where we're going to go, where we have been and where we will be. Uh, last year in the book of Acts, we saw a beautiful picture of the life of the earliest church, beginning with the ascension of Jesus and then growing gradually and, and sometimes miraculously and sometimes suddenly through the work of the Spirit and then transitioning into the latter half of the book where we followed the missionary journeys of Paul, finally Paul's imprisonment. During the first half of 2023, we're going to be in the book of 1 Timothy. It's a letter we're going to hear from from Paul speaking to Timothy, his son in the faith. We chose 1 Timothy, one of the pastoral epistles, to be reminded of the work of Christ Uh, on on behalf of his bride, as well as to be able to love the church more deeply. And we're also going to take breaks throughout the spring to observe special liturgical Sundays. So for instance, next week we will be, uh, Pastor Patrick will have uh, Epiphany Sunday, which is on the baptism of Jesus. And then you can prepare yourself to dive in to to 1 Timothy. Um, So this morning in Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 14, Paul gives to the church at Ephesus a peek into his pastoral heart. He gives them a peek into his pastoral heart by sharing with them, this is what I'm praying for you. This prayer has been this week, my prayer for you, Emmaus, and perhaps it may even become your prayer for yourself as we move in to 2023. Ephesians is actually one of the first books that we ever preached through in its entirety at Emmaus, and one of the doctrines here, both the Trinity and the doctrine of union with Christ, have deeply shaped our preaching. And so this book will serve us very well as we move in between where we have been and where we're going. So if you're taking notes or if you're refereeing snacks and coloring pages, here's our big idea for today. Our big idea is this, God gives his people divine strength to know his unbreakable love. Let me say that one more time. God gives his people divine strength to know his unbreakable love. And let me be straightforward here. If 2022 has found you doubting or forgetting how great God's love for you is in Christ Jesus, this prayer, my hope is that this will be a balm for your soul, a bandage and a brace. So let's go here and let's read Ephesians chapter 3. 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the other saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul opens his explanation of his prayer for the church with this phrase. He says, for this reason, which also expresses his conviction. 
and conveys his certainty about what he's about to say. It also draws our focus in here. Verses 14 through 19, if you know anything about how Paul writes, he periodically does this where he just, he has one, he, he takes what we say are multiple verses, but what are in fact one sentence. So he's drawing our attention to this passage and telling us how important it is with two tools. One, he says, for this reason, it draws in the focus. And then in the Greek, he uses one sentence. He just, he's like, I don't want to take a breath. I want to make sure that you get all of this here. He uses this phrase a couple of times in this book, and each time he's expressing certainty. He's expressing his, his, his thankfulness for the Ephesian church in chapter one, and his certainty to his, his calling as a ministry of the gospel earlier in chapter three. Immediately preceding this prayer, Paul tests the limits of human language to express the mysterious eternal purposes of God and the unfolding of redemptive history. So when we see this prayer, we should see it as Paul does a certainty. Paul believes that this prayer is a certainty. These words that follow here are not hypothetical. They're not a hope that's quickly forgotten. They're not a mist that vanishes with the rising sun because Paul here sinks the tent stake of his confidence into the eternal stone foundation of the triune God. Our first point this morning is this. Our strength is ever new because the Trinity is unbreakable. Our strength is ever new because the Trinity is unbreakable. The confidence found in verse 14, the confidence that Paul, that he speaks in verse 14 kicks off this impenetrable chain from verses 15 through verse 17, linking the work of the Father with the work of the Spirit with the work of the Son. To put it another way, your supply of divine grace and strength will run out when the triune God is torn apart. That is never. That is never. The glory of the Father in verse 15. Take a look at verse 15. The glory of the Father in verse 15 is not simply that he has, or it is that he has the power to name. And that's, that power is not simply a he can he can write with a permanent marker and, and place a name tag on something. It's not simply just naming something, but it points to the power and the supreme authority and glory that he has before all creation. If you remember in Genesis 11, on the plain of Shinar, the people gather to build a tower and they say, let us make a great name for ourselves. As we find out the sin of the Tower of Babel is not in the construction of an architectural marvel, but it is in part a usurping of God's authority. It is a presumption of the rights of the creator because just one chapter later in Genesis 12, God will say to Abram, I will bless you and I will make your name great. Paul's recognition here of the father's supremacy as the namer and header and, and the namer and head of all things points to the fact that the Godhead is the eternal self-named one and the only proper response is to bow before him. Verse 15 echoes what Jesus says when he teaches his disciples to pray, when he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The glory of the Father's name in verse 15 is that he is the self-named namer, dependent on none, depended upon by all. And so 
we had this, this moment of, of viewing the, the transcendent beauty, glory, and power of the Father. Yet just as quickly as he points to this glory, Paul then shoots right to the soul. Right to the soul. Take a look at verse 16 with me. This is the delivery of the, trend, the glory of the transcendent in a moment brought to bear upon our souls. Verse, 15, verse 16 says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Bang, like a, like a bolt. We go from transcendent glory to your innermost being, to your innermost being. If you've ever used a magnifying glass, you know how this works right? There's this moment when you're out in the sun, you use a magnifying glass, and in a moment, this radiant energy is suddenly focused into this one spot. So here, because the Trinity is unbreakable, the outworking of the glory of the Godhead is performed in unison, performed together. The work of the Father who reigns, necessarily connected to the work of the Spirit that indwells. And the work of the Spirit here by the gracious granting of the Father is a perpetual stream of divine grace that is directed to your innermost soul. The ministry of the Spirit in the life of the believer is ongoing for two reasons. Jesus promised it, and on this side of eternity, you and I desperately need it. The struggles of, the, of our life make this obvious, don't, it? don't they? We struggle against sin, both sin done by us and sin done to us. Our, we, have, we struggle with our physical and mental decay. We also struggle with loss and death and change and heartache. Yet the miracle of the work of the Spirit is expressed well in 2 Corinthians 4 that says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And regardless of the joy or the sorrow that you sit in today, next month, or the last day of 2023, the Spirit of God is present with you. The Spirit of God is present with you, not sitting, sitting idly by, but working now, tomorrow, to apply an infinite stream of the riches of God to strengthen your soul. So again, point number one is that the strength, our strength is ever new because the Trinity is unbreakable. Now that was number one. Number two is this, our strength is sure because our union with Christ is unbreakable. See verse 17. The Father's unleashing of his storehouses of heavenly grace here and the Spirit's ever new strengthening work has this end result. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So your continual strength in the Spirit is accompanied by the presence of Christ. And here, more than just his presence, more than just his proximity, more than just his presence, you have been united to Christ. So we see here this fully co-opting work of the Trinity, fully realized in our union with Christ. Here's what that means. Christian, it means, it means this, that, that you are not only the recipient of divine strength, but you have been united to the Son, and therefore you are a participant in the strength of the Trinity. 
In fact, the two are inseparable. The strength of your salvation depends not on you, but on the righteousness of Christ, whose perfection is given to you. And the sealing work of the Spirit here is part and parcel of this strengthening work. You are saved and kept, not only in one moment, but moment by moment. Moment by moment, united to Christ. No further away and no closer than when you first began. Moment by moment, you are kept, you are sealed and strengthened by Christ, by the Spirit of God. Moment by moment, you are held and loved and fully secure as the Father's adopted son or daughter. This past week, we, so we celebrated the incarnation, Christmas, right? We celebrated the incarnation, the eternal word made flesh, the eternal united completely and truly with the physical. He was really human and he remains really human to this day and for all of eternity, this glorious and precious mystery. We have been united to Christ, the born, dead, and risen Christ. We have been united to him and he has been united to us. This strength of the risen, indwelling Christ is ministered to us by his spirit, which now strengthens us. Remember, remember that your strength and your will did not save you. Your strength and your will did not save you, which means that your sin and your frailty cannot tear you away. If Christ cannot be torn, if Christ cannot be divided, if the Trinity cannot be broken apart, then you cannot fall from the grace and favor of God, which he has poured out on you. This last, this last year in May, I, I preached a, a sermon on, on rest. And perhaps you find yourself here at the end of 2022 in need of rest. Or perhaps it's only just this last week of the holidays and you find yourself not ready to go back to work, but still in need of rest. Perhaps you stand on the precipice of 2023, you look ahead at all that is to come, and you go, I have no idea in the world how I'm going to rest. Can I point you back to one point that I made in that sermon? And it actually, we can find it right here in verse 17. Look here. This union with Christ then, Paul says, being rooted and grounded in love. Paul uses these words to evoke a picture of a mighty tree or the foundations of a tall, secure city. This love is not like human love. Human love that ebbs and flows, that is here and then gone. Being united to Christ implies not only that we are recipients of God's love, but that he has planted us in that love, in the sure foundations of his love. So we are then showered with the grace and his love from above, and we are planted and secured in his love for us. But this love here is not only what we've received, but also what love produces, and that is love itself. The love that God has for us, the love which we have received from the Godhead, produces within us love itself. And not only does it produce love, but it brings about something else. It brings about 
gratitude. It brings about gratitude. Calvin says, among the fruits of Christ dwelling in us, Paul mentions love and gratitude for the divine grace and kindness exhibited to us in Christ. So perhaps you're listening and you say, I hear you. I hear that I'm loved. I'm here, I hear that I'm loved from above and from below, both sprinkled and planted, I'm loved. So, so what should I do? What should I do? Where, what should my response be? Well, good news. There's nothing else to be done. The answer then is gratitude and thankfulness. And gratitude is a profoundly human disposition. It's profoundly human. And here's what I mean by that. And it is a good and right thing that we are to be grateful. But it's profoundly human because God is not thankful. God is not grateful because he has no need that becomes fulfilled. If he has no need, he cannot experience thankfulness because there is no need which God has that might be fulfilled. And he has no weakness that another might accommodate for. Gratitude then, out of a heart rooted and grounded in love, admits my great need and rejoices at its rich fulfillment in grace that is mine in Christ until, as the psalmist says, my cup runs over. Gratitude toward God, then, is the beginning of that rest. This strength that God provides fuels gratitude, which brings rest. Thirdly, thirdly, our strength is glorious because God's love is unbreakable. Our strength is glorious because God's love is unbreakable. This is what this strengthening is leading towards. So this this thought, I told you it was one sentence, right? It's one sentence that Paul is writing. It's because the, 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 the thought is one. It's one stream of thought that is gradually getting larger and larger and clearer and clearer. The Father strengthens us by the work of the Spirit in our innermost being, where also we are united to Christ. So there is this chain that is moving. There's this chain that is moving. And so the question is, what is the end goal? What is the end goal of this strengthening? What is this end goal of our supreme gratitude in having been united to Christ? Here it is. It is that you know the love of Jesus for you, his dear bride. Verse 18. Take a look at verse 18. So all of these things have happened, haven't they? You've been strengthened. You may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the power or know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I'll let you in on a secret here if you're like me and you like concrete ideas, you like spe- specific numbers and precise measurements. Um, Paul's usage here of width, length, height, and depth is going to get you absolutely nowhere. It's going to get you absolutely nowhere because the love of Jesus surpasses quantifiable knowledge. The love of Jesus has no corners. It has no edges where you might get lost. His love will not run out underneath you. It will not suddenly grow thin around you. You will not 
you will not rise above your need for it, nor sink below its reach for you. Christian, while you will never become more united to Christ, you will never, let me say it again, you will never become more united to Christ. You will spend an eternity and never plumb the depths nor scale the heights of his unbreakable love for you. But see the connection here back to strength because this is important. We didn't just get to the point of love. There's a connection here. There's a connection here to to, to strength at the beginning of verse 18. The love of Jesus for you is so wide and long and tall and deep that it actually takes the Trinity working on your behalf for your soul to be able to understand it. God's love is not simply something you can walk up to with your own human eyes, see and understand. You actually need the Trinity working moment by moment for you to be able to understand God's love for you. Here, you might even say that there is built for you a Trinitarian ark, a Trinitarian submarine, and a Trinitarian rocket ship that you are going to need in order to to traverse the love of Jesus. The strength of the indwelling spirit and your unbreakable union with the indwelling Christ decreed by the Father is given to you so that you may more fully understand the unsearchable depths of how much you are loved. Calvin here makes this wry observation. He says almost all men are infected with the disease of desiring to obtain useless knowledge. So then it takes God himself God himself to sanctify our strength, God himself to sanctify our souls and our minds, and God himself to tell us what we ought to know, what knowledge we ought to pursue. Let me say this and listen closely. The most important thing that you can know in this life is how loved you are by Jesus. Parents, the most important thing you can know in your parenting is how loved you are are in Jesus, in your job, or if you're a student, it doesn't matter. The most important thing you can know is how loved you are by Jesus. And even, and listen to this, even when you sin, the most important thing that you can know is how loved you are by Jesus. And you may be tempted in times of discontentment or spiritual despondency to grumble. So wait, that's it? It's just love. And my friend, let me say to you, in the name of Jesus, yes, that's it. It's just love. And perhaps you would say, but you don't know what I've done or how little I've done. You don't know who I really am, what people say about me. And friend, I may not know those things about you. I may not know those things about you this morning, but I know who Jesus is. And more importantly, he knows who you are, and you have been united to him, and he loves you with an unbreakable, inexhaustible love. If you're not a Christian this morning, let me assure you, though you are far off from him, he is not far off from you. If you will only come to, your sin, come to, to him, turning from your sin and repentance, this tall, deep, wide love is offered to you. Jesus has purchased it, you can't earn it, but he offers it to you if you just come with the empty hands of faith. 
saying, Jesus, I have nothing, but I come to you needing everything. Friend, there is forgiveness, there is freedom, there is life, and there is love from Jesus waiting for you. So come to him. I promised you a short sermon this morning, and so I have three pastoral charges for you. First, believe that that God's love for you is unbreakable. That's the first charge. Believe this. Believe that God's love for you is unbreakable. Neither your frailty, your circumstances, not your sin, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If Paul can pray that the Ephesians would know this more deeply, so also you can pray this. And this prayer can be one of reassurance, and sometimes it can be just a prayer of desperation in times of doubt. Simply pray, Jesus, let me know again, or let me know more deeply how great your love is for me. Spirit, give me strength to know that I am loved. But believe this, believe that God's love for you in Christ is unbreakable. Number two, give thanks. Give thanks. Give thanks that you have been united to Christ and in him you have a royal reward in eternity and you have the indwelling power and presence of Christ and the indwelling spirit today. You have eternity to look forward to and you have the power and strength of God today. Give thanks when you consider your great need and its glorious fulfillment from the embarrassment of riches that we have in Christ. Remember that your need for strength is not embarrassing to God. It is not embarrassing to him. It is not shameful before him when you come with your need, when you come in your weakness, It is not embarrassing. It is not shameful. And your father does not avert his eyes from you. So come to him willingly, expectantly, and often, and give thanks. And finally, rest. The purpose of this strength, the ultimate purpose of this strength is not work. It is rest. The purpose of this strength is to rest in the secure, your secure union with Christ and your status as a beloved child of God. This strength is for your rest because it is with this strength that you know how loved and secured you are. So having taken your need before the throne of God in prayer, having taken your weakness before the throne of God, and with gratitude, rest in the strength that he provides your soul. This strength has been ordained by the Father, ministered by the Spirit because of our union with Christ, and it exists for one purpose. The triune God has strengthened your inner being so that you may may know the love of Jesus for you in order to bring about your rest in him. You may be looking forward to 2023, and you may be assessing and calculating, you may be planning the physical and emotional and intellectual strength that you are going to need, 
You may have already calculated this and found yourself wanting. But remember, your greatest need in 2023, in fact, your greatest need for strength is for you to know, for you to remember how loved you are by Jesus. And this, this precious truth that the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have leveraged their entire existence on making sure that you know how love, loved you are. And it's fitting now, it's fitting that we conclude our time together with the Lord's Supper. For the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had gave thanks, he broke it saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, remembering or saying, this, is the, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Lord Jesus has prepared his table before you in the wilderness as a reminder of our need, our need of daily grace, our need of daily strength, just to know how loved we are by Jesus. In a moment, I'm gonna pray and you'll come down this aisle, get your hand sanitizer over here, and come across and take the elements, return to your seat back up this way. If you are not a Christian this morning, just know that this is a, this is a Christian table. This is a table for, for believers, those who in their great need have clung to Christ and have been united to him. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, we would simply ask you to stay seated. Consider Jesus. We appreciate your honesty. Consider Jesus and the love offered out to you, and maybe perhaps even call out to him now. Let's pray. Triune God, we marvel at the glorious riches of your grace that you have poured out on us and promised to continue to do in Christ. Just as there is no measure, Lord, for calculating the love of Jesus for us, his bride, so also there, there are no words in the tongues of men or angels to fully express our response to you. A simple reply to a matchless gift. Thank you. Thank you. We thank you, Father, Son, and Spirit, in whose name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Emmaus, come and take. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmaus KC, located in Kansas City. For more information about Emmaus KC, please visit us online at www.emmauskc.com.